I am so excited to share 20% off my favorite adaptogen blends with you. Research shows adaptogens can balance cortisol, combat fatigue, enhance focus, ease depression and anxiety, and support proper hormone function. The more I researched this, the more I realized the easiest and best way to enjoy adaptogens is with superfood blends that can be added to water. I found Organifi, and now I love it. Organifi has an amazing little thing called Red Juice that is a red berry antioxidant blend that has cordyceps, rhodiola, and reishi. Cordyceps boosts energy, immunity, and stamina. I drink it during every podcast recording now. And when I'm stressed out and not sleeping well, I take green juice mid-morning. And guys, I finish every day now with either gold or gold chocolate. So this is a mixture of reishi and calming adaptogens and turmeric. It's either, it's kind of like a hot chocolate or like a turmeric warm drink at the end of the night. You just mix it with warm water and it has helped me so much. It's way more effective than the sleepy tea I was drinking. So they're both the same drink, just different flavors, gold or gold chocolate. I love it. I've totally fallen in love with Organifi. All their superfood adaptogen blends are 100% certified organic. They have high quality ingredients. They are free of fillers and they taste really good while also providing a clinical and effective dose of adaptogens. You can support your body, energy, immunity, and stress with Organifi. Organifi takes pride in offering the best tasting superfood products on the market at a price that works out to less than $3 a day. You can experience Organifi's high quality superfoods without breaking the bank. Go to Organifi.com forward slash wellfed. Our code wellfed will get you 20% off, which is a awesome discount. Organifi, so that's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I dot com forward slash wellfed. Go to that link. Use our code wellfed for 20% off. You are now listening to Well-Fed Women, the show that's been radically changing the way women perceive health, fitness, and their bodies since 2015. I'm your host, Noelle Tarr. Submit your questions to wellfedwomen at gmail.com. And you can keep up with the show on Instagram at wellfedwomen. Welcome to the Well-Fed Women podcast. This is episode number 386. I'm your host, Noelle Tarr. My website is coconutsandkettlebells.com. There you'll find recipes and articles and workouts and all the show notes for the episodes of this podcast, including this episode. I'm trying to get better about linking to all the things that we mentioned. I even got some requests for links to the skinny jeans that I mentioned on uh, our fashion episode. So I will try to get better about that. But if you ever need a link, just DM me on Instagram and I'll do my best to find whatever I was talking about. Uh, I'm a nutritional therapy practitioner and a certified personal trainer. And today I'm here with Stephanie, who is in a completely different country on the other side of the world. And that's the beauty of podcasting and the internet and the fact that we can be anywhere and still be hanging out and hanging out with you guys. So we're excited. Today, our topics will include fitness watches, good or bad, some not so great research about protein powders and natural remedies for chronic UTIs. We're also going to talk about Stephanie because I have to know all the things and what she's doing and where she's going. So without further ado, hi, Stephanie. Hey, what's hey. up? Da, da, da. Da, da, da. So, um, so you're not in France. Where where are you? What are you doing, girl? <laughs> um, at this moment, I'm in London. I will be in France in five days. Um, as y'all know, we record we record a little bit ahead of time, so I'm not sure where I'll be when this comes out. But uh, I, it's funny when I first, y'all know that I was 
uh, on my way to the other side of the pond uh, a little bit ago. And when people asked me about when I was coming back, it's funny. I always said, well, my plane ticket is for June 30th. <laughs> and because I was never like, oh, yeah, that's the day I'm coming back. And sure enough, um, I canceled that plane ticket as I kind of thought I was going to. Uh, when I first came to England or sorry, to Europe, I went to France first. And when I was there, I had a really lovely time and I had some chats and I looked into, uh, the philosophy faculty there and I reached out to some people and I had this idea about the direction that my work could be taking and my life could be taking. And I hurried up and I wrote a proposal to study, this thing, which we could talk about sometime, <laughs> follow me on Instagram. And I, um, in like two weeks, I learned a new field of philosophy and wrote a proposal in English and French, by the way. <laughs> um, I mean, I, Google Translate is, is, is very good these days. So I had a great deal of help. Um, basically, my French is decent enough that I can use Google Translate and then comb through it and like edit it. So that's kind of, that's kind of what I do. Um, anyway, um, and the proposal was accepted. So I am, unless like something happens with the visa office, right? Like, I mean, logistically, things could always not pan out. But the current plan right now is uh, I am moving to Lyon, France, and I will be there for at least one year, maybe several. And I am working, uh, I'm doing research in uh, philosophy. And I'm super, super, super excited. Um, over the course of this summer, I am going to be finishing a book. Uh, I don't know what format it will be published or when, uh, but I'm really excited about this book. And it's going to be a great bridge, you know, a great meeting point between what uh, what I've been talking about for many, many years and all the philosophy stuff I'm working on. So I'm really excited. Um, and yeah, that's it. That's what I'm doing. So I'm actually, I'm going to be, uh, I'm on my way to France to sort of get established. And I have to make a quick trip back to the States to go to a wedding and apply and get my visa. Um, and then I'll be back in France for the foreseeable future. Okay. So here's my second question because... <laughs> Okay. <laughs> okay, because I've been, I have been watching your Instagram, and this is, I know, a popular question for women, adult women. It, and you're like, oh, no, my friend's house, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. And I'm like, how do you have friends? Because <laughs> you just got there. I know you lived there for a while, obviously. You were at Oxford for a very long time. But even when you were in France, you're out dancing, and you're like, I love these people. This is my friend. And I'm like, what? How, how does this work? So how do you... <laughs> How do you make friends as an adult and especially as an adult traveling and now you're moving to like a new country? It just seems so easy for you. Mm. Um, well, it definitely hasn't always been. I was incredibly lonely and had basically no friends, um, I would say, until about my mid-20s when I made a lot of changes about <laughs> how I think about myself and the world around me and how I wanted to act. Um so there was definitely a lot there and we could talk about it sometime, I guess. But, uh, well, it's, 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 there's, there's, uh, there's so much I could say here. For one thing, I lived here for several years. So I made a bunch of friends in Oxford 
right? Um, just living there. I was a, in a college community. I went dancing. I had people with shared intellectual interests, right? In my faculty. Um, so I made a bunch of friends in different circles and then they've sort of like dispersed, you know, there's some in London, there's some in Oxford, there's some in Cambridge. And so I've been visiting these people. Like I've just been catching up and I had to leave here um, before my visa expired, uh, you know, more than a year ago. And so it's really good to come back and, and like reconnect. So I'm doing a lot of like reconnecting with old friends. And that's why. And then in France, um, I had met people dancing. And uh, I, I'm not 100% sure what my plan is. <laughs> it's actually, I was just recently in Boston, and it's more, it was harder for me to make friends there. Um, I did it through dancing, you know, like, extracurricular activities. Like you just show up one night and you're like, hi, I'm Stephanie to somebody like, Yes. You just go to a random, like you research and you're like, these are good dancing spots and you show up by yourself. Yes. Um, and I mean, dancing is kind of made for that, for showing up by yourself. Hmm. Um, right. Like you just show up and you ask people to dance <laughs> and you can talk if you want to, but you don't have to. You know, so dancing mm -hmm. is kind of perfect for that for me as an introvert. Like it's perfect because yeah. I can show up and dance, be around people, be social. We can talk if we want, but normally I don't. <laughs> um, but part of my plan actually for learning French is to um, take dance classes and that'll be great. I'll be like feeding so many birds with the same seed. I'll be meeting people. I'll be making friends. I'll be practicing my French and I'll be like working on um, certain dance skills. So um, that'll be fun. And I just, um, yeah, it's, it's very different. And, and the, uh, the culture is a little bit more easily set up to to make friends. You know, I feel like in the States, there's it's really it's it's quite challenging because you're so busy with work all the time. Everybody like you move away from, you know, even having to drive, you know, you usually you have to drive places. People are far away from you. You like right. live in your in your nuclear family house. You know, um, part of the reason I like living in Europe is that um, a lot of things are just physically much closer together. Uh, there's a lot of culture about like going out after work, right? And like cultivating a, a social life and um, and there's less focus on work. You know, people have way more vacation days. <laughs> so uh, there, there's, a, there's a whole lot that makes it easier for me actually to build community here, which is a, which is a part of why I like it. But, um, you know, there's a lot that I, that I do intentionally too. And also like, I don't have um, a, a, a nuclear family to which I give so much of my time. <laughs> like that's very, right. that's a very important difference. Like I have to, I have to be social if I don't want to be really lonely. Mm -hmm. like period yeah. like i have to have friends yeah um it's it's just different yeah. anyway no that's how do you a, have friends that's <laughs> <laughs> that's really good insight though because i feel like the differences culturally or i mean it's just important to highlight that and especially how the things that we value in this country set us up to be um more lonely more secluded mm -hmm. more you know focused on our like <laughs> Our computers, so, which I'm sitting here looking at right now, but, you know, focused on not connection, not connecting, but interacting with the Internet and the computer and work and all that kind of stuff. And now we don't even really have to go anywhere to, to quote unquote, connect with other people, which I think has been incredibly toxic, you know, as a, you know, scrolling a Facebook news feed. Now, all of a sudden, we think we've caught up with people that we haven't talked to in 10, 15 years, and it's not the same, doesn't have to provide the same benefits in terms of social support and community and all that kind of stuff and connection. Um, so very good insight. <clears throat> My last question 
which everybody wants to know, has your color palette changed now that you're a free bird living in Europe? Like, are you still into the teals or does your color palette shift Mm. with your mood and location? Interesting question. I appreciate the flattery in saying you're interested in other people are might be interested in my color palette. Um, yeah, no, it's absolutely going to stay the same because, um, the colors that look good on me will never change. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, yeah. And I, it's funny. I actually, I bought a couple of jumpers, um, sweaters, oh, right bought a, bought a, sweater bought a, jumpers. Well, they're called jumpers in England, but they're oh. sweaters in the United States. So, um, when I, when I first got okay. to England, I thought, I thought I didn't have enough warm clothes. So I bought some jumpers and they were like, like a beige and, and like a soft pink. And I thought they were going to be different, but anyway, I, I tried to wear them. And every time I looked in the mirror, I was just like, I can't. So I, I gave them away. Um, yeah, my color palette has not changed. I'm so um, confused. Why are sweaters called, called jumpers? Well, they just are, you know, pants here means underwear. So whenever people say pants, I picture underwear here. When you want to say pants, you say trousers. (laughs) (laughs) Those are things I did not know. I mean, I know the normal things like chips and cookie, like the, you know, those food differences. For some reason, I had no clue sweaters were called jumpers. They are. They are. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, And I watched Downton Abbey and I still didn't know that. So like, (laughs) what's going on? You know, period dramas are always like up on the latest lingo. Yeah. Okay. Let's get to our first question. This is from Ruthie. She says, do you think fitness watches make people more obsessed or are they helpful in in helping you reach your goals? (laughs) Here's a question. Do fitness watches make Stephanie more obsessed? (laughs) That's a good question. They do. Fitness watches, I can't. Oh, my goodness. Okay. I'm so glad we're talking about this. I've been wanting to talk about fitness watches forever. Thank you for writing this in, Ruthie, because I know some people actually for whom it works great. And and they are people who either love obsessively quantifying everything or they're so chill that getting the data doesn't bother them. And those are the only two people fitness watches work for. And I, the idea of having a fitness watch, like, I could have a panic attack just thinking about it. Like, it would be so horrible for me. I don't need a watch to tell me that I sleep badly. Yeah, like, right, right. I know I sleep badly. And then you can get watches that are like, hmm, maybe you should take it easy today. I'm like, hmm, how about you like go right. do stuff somewhere else? Like, <laughs> like, maybe you should take it easy today. I'm like, excuse me, do you know what kind of society we live in? Like, there's no way I can take it easy today. <laughs> Or like something, you know, like, okay, thank you. You know, um, so unfortunately, for better or for worse, do you feel like our whole pod, maybe what we should do is just stop podcasting and just put an image up, like for our thumbnail image that says like, different things work for different people. And then we'll never (laughs) answer a question ever again. (laughs) Do what works for you. Get to know your body and do what works for you. Um, because honestly, like one of my closest friends, she loves her fitness watch. She loves it so much. She loves it. And she sleeps like a rock and it tells her and she gets <laughs> she gets to be affirmed by I mean, right. And, and like the steps. 
But man, like I just, it would just be horrible for me. Same way counting calories is horrible for me, but I know some people for whom like that's totally fine, you know? Mm. Um, so I, I don't know what else to say other than like, it's, do you, do you think it would make you obsessive? If it would make you obsessive, don't do it. If you want to try, get a watch that you can return in 90 days. Right. <laughs> don't try it. And then if it makes you obsessive, return it, you know, or give it to somebody. Try in one of your friends, you know, let ask your friend if you can borrow it for a few weeks. Um, man, I just I do not want that data. I eat as well as I can. And, and like, and what else am I going to do? Like, I just, you know. <laughs> And what do you think, Noel? Do you have one? <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> so I'm wearing one right now. Uh, <laughs> I have, okay, okay. I feel anxiety. Just okay. Think. So here, let me talk about the, okay, this is a long journey. And I think that this is important to note. And I actually, I've been having a lot of thoughts about this because I have seen all the reels on Instagram, you know. People beating up on fitness watches, especially in the community oh. of pod positive body image and diet culture and all that kind of stuff. Like people, you know, saying fitness watches are bad, or you shouldn't wear them, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. Interesting. So if I were to think about myself and how I was, let's say a decade ago or when I was in college, if I had a fitness watch in college, it would not have been good for me. It would have been very toxic. Those were the days where if you wanted to run 10 miles or you're training for a marathon, you drove it and you tracked it on your mile tracker in your car. And then you went and ran it or you mapped it on whatever map quest or whatever. I think Google had a thing. They probably still do. It was like Google pedometer where you could you could like track a route and then you could, you know, clock it. You could plan that route. Um, maybe people still do that. I don't know. I don't run. So, you know, that I didn't. Uh, it was really only until after college that GPS watches became there was a, a Garmin GPS watch. And that's what everybody used. And it was big and it was 350 bucks and it was like spotty, but like only the best of the best people got it because it's so expensive. And so I didn't really get a GPS tracking watch until probably late, late 20s or whatever. I don't remember it being that bad for my health, other than to say I was already in an unhealthy place. Um you know, trying to run and work off X, Y, and Z thing. And sometimes I think that people can, it, it all depends on how do you look at the data. So, and, and where are you at physically, mentally, emotionally with your own health? If you're not in a great space and or you're struggling with your body image or you're struggling with trying to be better about not tracking calories and not being obsessed with working out and you feel like, working, you have, you know, you're still struggling with, oh, I've got to work out five days a week or, oh, I've got to work out at least 20 minutes for it to count, then it's not good for you, right? But if you're in a place where you understand, and this is where I'm at now, and this is why I don't think it, it's not a problem for me. I truly in, enjoy it, but I don't think it says anything about my worth or my, um, the, the value of anything that I did that day with my food or my fitness. It's for me, it's a way to assess like what happened to me during that day. So for example, after I had kids, I couldn't really get up or stand or walk around. And I kind of use it as this metric of like, oh, wow, I'm not like, Apple gives you a move goal. It's kind of hilarious. And I'm like, what's this move goal based off of anyway? But 
whatever. So they have a move goal. And like there was a very long time where I wasn't hitting that move goal. Was it making me feel bad about myself? No. But the days that I did hit the move goal, I would think to myself, oh, wow, I did more movement today. That's probably why I'm in more pain. I was up a lot today or whatever. Then months and months and months went by and I would start incorporating a workout or whatever. So I'd be able to go back and look, okay, I worked out twice this week. I worked out three times this week. I worked out twice this week. And now I'm kind of like feeling it. And here's why. So I can look back at back at the data and say, here's what my week or my month looked like. And this is why I'm feeling the way that I am. So I take that information and I make shifts or changes or I'll actually take a day off or whatever. And now I use it as a way to I do not track my sleep. I don't want anything touching me when I sleep. So um, like on me, anything. I don't I don't want that. So I I am with you on that stuff where I'm like, I don't want a fitness watch to tell me that I slept bad because it will make me more anxious about my sleep. And I'm not opposed to it. I just don't. It's information I'm not interested in having because my sleep is can be all over the place. And I'm trying to obsess about it less. But with the movement and the exercise, I do when I'm because I'm doing intentional lifts and all that kind of stuff. I love heart rate data. I want to know my heart rate, my resting heart rate. I want to know where I'm at. Like, I think that's an important marker of your health. And I like being able, every after every set and every sprint, I'm kind of checking where my heart rate is because that's tell, giving me a lot of information. And the, the Apple Watch does that. This is essentially why I got the, the watch is because I wanted to be able to tell my heart rate what I wanted to get the feedback about my heart rate in my workouts. So some days like last week, I was really tired and I was doing sprints and it just felt awful and my heart rate wasn't getting as high. And I was like, oh, this is because I'm not recovered and I'm just tired and it's I'm not feeling it. So I just need to kind of just like chill. Um, But I do kind of like seeing my heart rate get to where I know is a good space for me when I'm like sprinting. So I know like a really good sprint is like my heart rate gets to 175. If I'm like climbing and I'm like, I am dying. Why am I dying? And I look down, my heart rate's 180. I'm like, oh. That's why. And it's because I'm working pretty hard. So I like that information. I like being able to look at my watch now and see the progress that I've made and the amount of movement that I can handle and be pain free. I know that's kind of weird, but I do like looking at my watch and being like, wow, I hit my move goals like doubled, you know, all this week and I'm still pain free and I don't feel any pain. So like over time, I slowly looked at like, okay, I'm increasing my movement. I'm increasing my movement. And today I hit my move goal and it didn't cause me any extra pain. So like that was really cool for me. Um, I think we have to be careful in letting these fitness watches or these way, the ways in which the fitness watches track things, you know, the, the parameters they set as actually meaning anything. Because, <laughs> because in essence, it doesn't. It's some sort of, you know, even the ten thousand mm-hmm. steps. Yep. Ten thousand yep. steps means nothing. <laughs> it's just a number. It's not any better. Yep. Like it's so. I do remember. I have, you know, somebody in my family who was like, "Well, when I run, like, you know, I hit my ten thousand steps much faster than if I did a bike." And I'm like, none of that matters. No, the ten. The 10,000 steps does not matter. It does not matter what your job at the time it was jawbone. I had a jawbone. It does not matter what the jawbone says about your your run. The run could actually have been detrimental to your health, which I don't I mean, from some of the literature, depending on your goals, it can actually decrease bone density and all the things. So, like, it doesn't matter what the jawbone said about your steps and your run if the, it, that bike could have actually been 
like more health promoting for you and better for you and exactly what your body needed, especially if you did like short, quick sprints and you just did some like slow run that kind of, you know, your knees were already hurting and whatever. Like, no, like so we have to be able to assess and say, okay, these are just like numbers that somebody made up. It doesn't actually mean that if I hit these numbers, I'm any more healthy if I don't. And I have to be able to assess okay, my body needs to lift today. Like I would much like in my personal opinion, which is I know I have my own biases, but like I think a lift is much more health promoting for especially the female body in many different ways, you know, balance, bone density, strength, all the things than going for a run. So going for the run is going to give you higher steps than lifting, but lifting to me is healthier. So you have to be able to me, this is my opinion. Um, so you just for me, like I have to be able to look at that stuff and say, well, I didn't hit my whatever step count or my step count was lower today, but I lifted. And so for me, that's like promoting my health much better than if I were to just have focused on my steps. So you just have to be able to take a step back and say, whatever numbers that this watch or this tracker has created is arbitrary. And what matters to me is important. And I can look at the I can assess where I'm at and what I'm doing and all the things by looking at the data on a, you know, day to day comparison experience and maybe just get some helpful info about myself and where I'm at and pain levels and recovery and all that kind of stuff. So I enjoy it. I don't think I would be able to enjoy it if I was still in a negative place, but I enjoy it because I am an analytics kind of person. My husband is even worse. He tracks everything to the down to the detail. He loves the challenges and like the awards that the little watch will give you. And I'm like, okay, but like, that's him. That's he's He's a type one. He just loves the, you know, thing. So he's all about it. And he doesn't necessarily he doesn't have like a bad relationship with it at all. He just enjoys that. Um, and I'm using it more just for helpful information. So that was much longer than I expected mm. about stupid fitness watches. But <laughs> I thought it was great. I thought it was very informative. And I think your point about details is spot on because something that really like it's kind of embedded in our personalities, how much we have an affinity for details. And I'm like enormously stressed out by details. Hmm. And sometimes that can be really helpful for details to be provided to you <laughs> for somebody who's not detail oriented. Uh, but sometimes you can find them overwhelming, you know, and mm -hmm. so that's another aspect of it that you, you know, might want to like self-awarely dig into, you know, like, right. do I like details? Do I, you know, do yeah. I prefer to abstractly ignore them, which is what I do. <laughs> I am overwhelmingly detail oriented to the point where yes. it stresses me out if I don't have every oh, little really? detail. <laughs> I, I, never wrote, I never wrote a book with Noel. <laughs> I, I stress out if you don't give me steps A, A, A and a half and B and then <laughs> all the like, I mean, it's just I need everything. But I do think that that's made this well, this has made this podcast great, but I do think that because I'm a questioner and I'm a detail oriented person, I I like I can I can how do I say this without sounding like inflating myself? I, I do feel like I'm able to explain and describe things better because I get really obsessive when I'm like researching things and whether it's like shoes or PCOS, whatever, you know what I mean? Like I have to know every little detail and I have all these questions. So then once people have questions about it or whatever, I'm like, oh, I have all the information on that and I can give you all the details. So 
For those of you who want a free bottle of Masszymes, digestive enzymes, listen up. I'm going to hook you up. If you feel like you're doing all the right things, yet you're still struggling with digestive issues like gas, bloating, or cramping, digestive enzymes is a great first place to start. Masszymes from Bioptimizers is a 17-enzyme full-spectrum formula with five different kinds of protease, which is the enzyme that is the catalyst for the breakdown of protein. And undigested proteins can cause a lot of gut dysfunction. So while you're working on the root causes, taking digestive enzymes can help relieve symptoms. To get your free bottle of Masszymes, there is no catch to this. Just go to masszymes.com forward slash free. There you'll automatically get access to a coupon code that will zero out the cost of the bottle of Masszymes and you will have to pay shipping, but that's it. Again, it's Masszymes, M-A-S-S-Z-Y-M-E-S.com forward slash free. all one word. There is a limited supply and it's limit one per household, so I would jump on it. Again, that's masszymes.com forward slash free. Anyway, okay, question number two is from Lauren. She says, favorite ways to save on healthy food options and cleaner products in the home. We'll do that one. Yeah, um, it is. And I, uh, it's, it's, I haven't had a ton of opportunities uh, recently to be the primary I've been living in Airbnbs. So thinking about cleaning, I'm like, oh, I don't really have a choice. I leave. <laughs> I leave when yeah, they bleach the house. <laughs> I leave. <laughs> um, yeah. I, well, obviously you can always, you can always buy things in bulk. Right. Um, and you can follow people like Noel for sweet deals, um, yeah. both on specific products and on like vendors, you know um, I think that that's definitely important, uh, especially if you're doing a lot of cleaning in a large house. Um, of course, one way to save is to live in a smaller space, um, you know, not to like tell people to like move. Right. But uh, if uh, you are looking into options in terms of buying or renting uh, that like, you know, cleaning expenses definitely add up. Um, so the size of your home, of course, really matters. Uh, and for me, it's always a question of um, prioritizing. And I really like to think about like, where am I getting my my greatest bang for my buck, so to speak. Right. So, uh, I, in terms of food, I really like to prioritize like healthy fats, right? So I will spend extra money on an, a nice olive oil because I know that like there's a gap between like decent olive oils that you can get on the shelf and then ones that are really high in polyphenols and, um, processed, like very healthfully, right? So um, I will pay more for uh, olive oil or an MCT oil. And if I can, like I will look to buy them in bulk, right? I'll look to buy them on sale. You can always, like if, if sales are cyclical, buy a bunch of a product at once if you can, right? And then sit on it. Um, I definitely do that with supplements, um, you know, or like um, when I buy them, what's the... Like at a nah, like a GNC or like a vitamin shop, right? Uh, they will have deals periodically, so I wait until there are deals and then I stock up. Um, and I go for my greatest bang for my buck. And I usually will prioritize healthy fats and uh, the animal products, right? So I will um, spend my cash more. I will prioritize buying free range eggs. I will prioritize buying. Um, you know, grass fed 
meat when I can and butter and that sort of thing. So the animal products, the healthy fats, uh, those are priorities for me. I buy things in bulk when I can. Uh, I buy things ahead of time on sale when I can. Um, and I try to be pretty minimalist about it all and not to sweat. Um, you know, like I, I try to be pretty minimalist and not to sweat other details that come by because again, like we all only have so much time and energy. And so I allocate it as best as I can, but I don't like, you know, I don't fuss about the details, obviously, mm -hmm. as I was just talking about. So, <laughs> yeah, I here's kind of the process that I do. And I, I, I think, OK, so once you find let's talk about food first. So once you find a product or brand that you love, what I will do is I will first go to if it's possible, if it's not like a frozen thing, I will go to the actual um, product website and see what kind of deals or discounts that they do and if they offer free shipping. So I've done this with Siete or Primal Kitchen Foods or whatever. I will actually go to the website and I will make sure sometimes they do 25% off sales or whatever. And I will use discount codes, buy in bulk. And this is why we have extra freezers and a pantry. I just think buying in bulk is, is the best way to go if you can. And and so we'll buy in bulk and then we'll eat over the course of the time. This is why our pantries are always full because I, when I buy, it, I don't buy one. I buy at least, you know, 10. <laughs> so um, the other thing is if you have a Whole Foods near you and you are a Amazon Prime person or, or, or account or you have an account, they actually do really good sales and they're better than a lot of these discount online grocery stores. So when Whole Foods does a sale and you are a prime member, you get like an additional percentage off of the sale price. So when Siete does a sale, when Good Pops, because my kids eat Good Pops popsicles, which they can be really expensive. So anytime any of those brands that I know does a sale, which usually, so what happens with retailers? The retailer is not putting that, that brand on sale. Usually it's, it's an actual, it's something that's sponsored by the brand itself. And it's saying, Hey, I want to do this sale. And you're, and so it's doing it within Whole Foods. So it's not Whole Foods saying, Oh, we're going to put this on sale this week. It's actually the brand saying, Hey, we're doing a sale. We're going to do a, a, a sponsored sale in your store. And um, so Whole Foods isn't losing that cut. It's the brand. So you will see certain brands do this pretty often. Primal Kitchen does this pretty often. Good Pops does it pretty often. So maybe like once every 60 days or, one, you know, every other month, you'll see a pretty big sale. And it's really good. It's like, tw you know, at least 25% off sometimes, sometimes 30. That's when we buy for the summer. We will buy popsicles for the summer. Um, and we have two extra freezers at this time. We just bought a bigger one. So we still have the smaller one. But um, anyway, so we will we'll stock up when Capello's like pizza crusts or whatever does a sale. That's when we stock up when it comes to meats and produce. Um, produce does go on sale, too. So like obviously buying seasonally is important. I stopped buying like like if you're going to buy raspberries and strawberries during the winter, it's going to be more expensive. So we um, and I know you can can and do all that, but I'm just not about it. I'm sorry. I cannot spend my time doing that. What I do like to do is buy seasonally. So strawberries, obviously, right now are very much on sale. There was buy one, get one free at Whole Foods. So um, 
I bought two of those and that's what the kids are eating for lunch this week. Otherwise, we probably we stopped really buying strawberries during the winter and things. You know, I even stopped buying things like raspberries because mold for one, but two, it, they just go bad so quickly and they're so small for what they cost. So there are different foods that, that are cheaper. Um, obviously, I think farmers markets are a good option too. And they typically are more affordable. So if you can find a local farmer's market, that's great. And then for meats and produce, try, try, try to find a local farm. They are not as subject to inflation. And so like I bought, there's Polyface Farms is a farm that is owned by Joel Salentin. He was kind of the pioneer in this regenerative agriculture movement. And he has a massive farm out in Virginia. And they actually do deliveries. They call them drops to different neighborhoods for totally free all throughout the DMV area. So I order from them. Sometimes, you know, the chicken, it's going to be more expensive. Pasture-raised chicken is expensive. But we primarily have primarily have we we use ground beef a lot and so honestly we make ground beef when we're talking about nutrient density heme iron b vitamins fat soluble vitamins like all the things you're going to find it in beef and ground beef is the cheapest cut so we have a few cheap cuts of beef but we actually did they do a bulk thing where you can buy like 60 pounds of grass-fed ground beef and it's you get like this bigger bulk discount so we just bought 60 pounds of ground beef we got a big freezer and that's sitting in our freezer right now and that's going to be our beef through the summer so i wanted to buy early because i knew you know i was hearing rumblings of inflation and getting worse so we we bought you know the 60 pounds and that's what we have and we're going to be making those sloppy joes and whatever meatballs and all that from from that and they also have a ton of pasture raised eggs and those are not they usually do sales like buy one get one free on eggs because the girls over the chicks overproduce the hens overproduce at certain times of the year so again it's just a way to kind of get the high quality foods um, at a discount cleaning products same thing go to the manufacturer's website and see when they're doing big sales and then buy deeply. So we buy most of our cleaning products during Black Friday sale. I love Better Life and I love Puracy. Those are the two main ones that we use. And I buy most of them twice a year. It's usually like during the summer when we run out of whatever we bought for Black Friday. And then Black Friday, we stock up as much as we can, as much as we have space for. I do typically have a lot of promotion codes and discount codes. The way that brands work with influencers is... You know, for me in particular, I don't ever, I, I don't know, I don't really have brands coming saying, oh, we want to work with you. I usually, it's always me going to a brand and I'm saying, I really would love, like, I love your product. Like, can you give me a coupon code? Do you have an affiliate program, et cetera, et cetera. So the way that brands support influencers is they typically will give you a unique coupon code that's specific to you that you can share. And then that tells the brand oh, Noelle, that like Noelle sharing her coupon code and she had she's generating these sales like we should work with her more. Um, but the promotion codes are still there. And usually I use my own promotion codes to <laughs> purchase this because it's the best deal. So that's why you you'll see promotion codes a lot with influencers. Sometimes the promotion codes that you'll see with influencers or podcast sponsorships or whatever are better than what you'll find anywhere else. So um, I try to share that stuff as much as possible. I do do a monthly 
do am I doing it monthly now? I do do a monthly newsletter and I reg- I will post whatever cop- coupon codes I have. So for seeking health, for example, the supplements, they give me a new one every month and I will post it in my newsletter. So anytime I have anything or Puracy does like, hey, we're doing this big sale. Here's your special, even deeper discount code. Primarily Pure does that too. I will give that code in the newsletter and you can sign up at coconutscuttables.com slash cookies. Um, slash cookies. Get your cookies. <laughs> Question number three is from Jennifer. She says, protein powders. Break it down. Do we even need them? I'm thinking for breakfast smoothies. Nope. <laughs> Next. <laughs> Thank you so much for this question, Jennifer. Um, How many questions do I start by answering with? Here's the thing. (laughs) Here's the thing. Yeah. Um, Protein powders. Why? Uh, Protein powders, I think, are, I mean, a lot of people have specific weightlifting Mm -hmm. goals and macros and want to like hit their macros and they'll use a very specific protein powder and a very specific smoothie to like hit the macros. Okay, cool. Um, tangential to that is an entire industry that has invented itself for the sake of selling things. Mm. (laughs) Like, um, I just, yeah. And I actually, I actually think that protein, the existence of protein powders has been a part of giving us the impression that we need way more protein than we actually do. Like everybody's like, oh man, are you getting your protein? I'm like, yeah, I had some eggs. You know, like, yeah, yeah. And, and I think, yeah, I think that we tend to, we tend to overestimate how much protein we need. I personally do. And to underestimate how much protein is in certain foods, right? Like everybody's like, oh, I got to get all my complete proteins. I need a, I need a protein shake. I'm like, well, sure. You know, but if you had like 15 bites of salmon, like you're probably fine. Right? I, I don't know. 50, it depends on how big your bites are. <laughs> it's like um, 15 bites. That'd be a lot like, of salmon I, for I was me. Gonna, Right. So sorry. In my head, I was picture 15 bites. I mean, like all day, you know, right, or right. like, yeah, yeah. Um, if you had a few eggs in the morning and like cheese later in the day, you know, like there are, there's protein in, in so much, right. In cheese and milk and, uh, legumes, trace amounts and, you know, vegetables. I'm not saying you necessarily need to be counting the trace amounts. Um, and you can have it in, I tend to have protein in one or two meals a day, like a protein centric food. Uh, but I long ago realized that I accidentally eat way more protein than I ever thought, <laughs> right? Because I do eat legumes and I do eat dairy products and it adds up. And I also would make sure that I was eating meat and or eggs every day. And it turns out I was eating way more protein than I needed to be. And I'm not a huge human and I do weight lift, but I don't need a protein smoothie smoothie to powder, you know, to meet my protein needs. Like definitely not. And if I have a smoothie for my protein, I don't get to eat protein, which is great and rich in tons of vitamins and minerals. Like a protein Mm. powder, a protein powder is often... Not always, like now there's plant protein powders, but those have their own problems, is often casein or whey, which is a dairy protein that a 
huge amount of people don't tolerate very well <laughs> and and doesn't have nutrients, right? And protein powder companies will often add a bunch of stuff, but we know how the whole like adding circus goes. Like it, circus is a great word. For, like it's really hard to find a protein powder that's got the stuff in it that you want. Um, I think Vital Proteins does a, a, does a nice job, you know, of, of creating uh, uh, collagen-based protein powders that are conducive to health. Uh, but most of the stuff that's added is not great for you, you know, or like the Primal Kitchen stuff. I mean, I haven't looked at that in a long time, but the last time I checked, I thought what they were making was good. And there's probably other brands that do a really good job, but you got to find it. You know, there's often sweeteners added. Do you want to have a sweetener added? And then there's the whole like keto like keto protein powder industry like these, these industries are just massive and you can like if that's something that you want to do if you really like a smoothie on the go like absolutely you know do it do we need it heck no like heck no okay i'm a strong heck no you don't need a protein powder um unless you think it's fun and, and you want to then go ahead you know that's that's i don't know yeah so i say so i yeah okay so for me i think protein powders are mostly the like well they are or it's just a highly processed form most of them are uh very poor quality foods and and there is a big problem with plant protein powders which i will address in a second that was found in 2018 um in general and i think this is no surprise we do use a a food first approach which means the food that you our society, there is a massive industry that is absolutely obsessed with supplements and powders and shakes and all of this stuff for you to get your nutrients when you can get it from food. And if we are focused on high quality foods and eating nutrient dense foods, we're going to get a lot of what we need. Yes, of course, there are some small deficiencies that will occur. But when we're eating highly processed pea protein as our protein like what's it all for do you know like if you look like at how a protein isolate or a soy protein isolate is made it is a highly highly processed process and you're getting this powdered protein when you could be eating foods that are naturally rich in protein and also, they have other things like heme iron and B vitamins and fat-soluble vitamins, including vitamin D, which, you know, so many of us are deficient in. Hello, that's called grass-fed beef. Like, this is, <laughs> like, we can eat that, right? And we can have all of those wonderful nutrients that come alongside of it as opposed to eating this highly processed powder, like, that is is concentrated of a specific maybe poor quality protein so you can also get it from fish you can get it from meats you can get it from eggs it's all right there and it has complete amino acid profiles it's highly absorbable a lot of it's rich in omega-3s that our body can actually use because did you know fun fact i think it's between one and five or one and ten percent of alpha Poic acid, the ALA, the um, omega-3 that's typically found in like flax seeds and soybeans and all that and wheat germ. It's only like only one to 10% of that is converted into a usable form of omega-3s, which is like EPA, DHA, the way that our body uses. So there's so many benefits to just eating animal proteins and products, eggs, you know, cheese, 
grass-fed beef, all of that stuff. And so many people are going elsewhere to try to find their omega-3s or to try to get protein in. And it's these poorer quality foods that are are high in omega-6s, which are highly inflammatory. So I do do understand, like, I don't want to, like, poo-poo protein powders. I think some people... Again, do what works for you. But and I do know that a lot of people, there are a lot of people who are lifting a lot and they have really serious goals about building muscle and muscle growth and all of that kind of stuff. And I do think in those situations, a whey protein from a grass fed, you know, a grass fed whey protein is going to be your best bet. I don't think it's going to do a ton of harm, but I do think if you could focus on food first and only supplement with a high quality, like a grass-fed whey protein powder after your lift, you know, because you're really trying to, you have serious goals, like, cool, do you? It's going to be high in the specific branch chain amino acids that you need to build muscles. Do that. But for your morning smoothie, no, I, I don't recommend it. I don't, I, I think, also, if you want to add collagen, I think that's fine too. Um, I, I'm still a little like on the fence about, uh, again, all uh, all every the whole market jumping to powdered collagen as a way to get in our collagen because it is found in certain foods. We've just removed it from our plates, you know. Um, so I think that there's ways that we can incorporate that with food as well. But I don't think that's a bad idea. All most of the literature that looks at collagen supplementation and ha- you know the improvements that it has on hair and skin and nails and all that co- kind of stuff is just your simple collagen peptides or your hydrolyzed collagen. It's nothing fancy. There's You don't have to go out and buy some fancy new liquid whatever product. Just use your collagen peptides. Vital Proteins makes a good one. So you can add a scoop of that to your smoothie. Otherwise, I just would recommend incorporating nutrient-rich sources of protein into your breakfast, your lunch, and your dinner to meet your protein needs. Um, Here's some problems with plant proteins that I found. Well, protein powders in general, but this was mostly a problem found in plant proteins. Um, Plant proteins often have pea protein. They have beans. They have garbanzo beans. And of course, there's soy protein. All of these are very high in omega-6 fats. Omega-6 fats are mostly found in things like soy and corn, sunflower oil, nuts and seeds. We know from the literature that a diet high in omega-6s this let's credit Stephanie with this. She's literally been talking about this from like day one paleo women podcast. Um, she's, I think, did you do a post about nuts and seeds, limiting nuts and seeds? I think you did. Um, I've done a few and it's funny because I have since then Googled like information looking for this and then been like directed to my blog. I'm like, crap. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yes. Anyway. Yeah, so she's written the blog post on this, but a diet high in omega-6s in grains, and we're talking nuts and seeds and soybeans and, you know, vegetable oils, that's consistently linked to chronic disease and poor health outcomes. So um, that's that's one thing. But I was doing some research just about... Um, basically, I wanted to look at if there was anything that had come out about has, has anybody actually tested protein powders? So for, for me, my mind always goes to, okay, I know what you're telling me is in the product, but are there any contaminants or anything? Because when we look at a highly processed food like this, there's a lot that goes into making it. So has there been any sort of research that's looked into 
actual testing of it, similar to how we would test cosmetic products, you know, um, because they're they have to go through such a huge manufacturing process and there's a lot of raw materials. So has anybody actually tested protein powders to see if there is any contaminants or it is what it says it is? There was a um, in 2018, a group called the Clean Label Project released a report about toxins in protein powders, and the research screened 134 products for 130 different type of toxins. And they found that many protein powders contained heavy metals, specifically lead and arsenic, cadmium and mercury, BPA, which is, you know, what we know is used to make plastic. It's an endocrine disruptor. There was lots of pesticides and there were other contaminants that are known carcinogens. Some toxins were present in significant quantities. For example, one of the protein powders contained 25 times the allowed limit of BPA. So people are using these powders to try to be healthy, yet they are just pouring BPA into their shake. So A lot of people say, how could this happen? It's really the manufacturing process. So when we're thinking about contamination of a product, we have to one, look at raw materials. So where are we, you know, that's only one step, but most manufacturers, even when it comes to cosmetics, will only tell you, oh, are all of the the people we get our raw materials from, whether it's the peas or the scents, the lavender, all of it has been tested for any sort of contamination, it's all clean. So, But that's one step. And sometimes they're lying to you and sometimes they don't test. And they don't do the, the testing that's actually they should be doing. The second place that things can get contaminated is through this manufacturing process. So a lot of times heavy metals can be contaminated when something is actually being made. And the third place is, of course, the actual packaging. So we have to be aware of, okay, what's the life cycle of this product and where can things like this actually happen? Where can things actually be contaminated? So unfortunately, it seems like the majority of the protein powders were contaminated. And they said the plant protein powders were the worst offenders. Um, Approximately 75% of the plant protein powders had measurable lead levels. Laboratory discovered that the plant protein-based powders um, each contained, on average, twice the amount of lead per serving than other products. Um, They often contained mercury, cadmium, arsenic, and 55% of the protein powders tested had measurable levels of BPA. The certified organic products, so the certified organic plant protein powders, averaged twice as much heavy metals. So this isn't just like, oh, some basic soy protein or some basic, you know, pea protein. This is the ones that are certified organic that had the most contamination. So I find this horrifying. I find it to be just, it's just another thing about our, our, marketing, marketing folks. It's another thing that frustrates me because we have these really great high quality foods that are rich in protein and heme iron and all the things that you need. Yet people, a lot of people are moving to quote unquote organic pea and soy protein powders thinking it's a health food when one, it's pretty darn high in omega-3s. It's nutrient poor. There are no other nutrients that come alongside of it. And most of the time it contains heavy metals. So 
that's just something to be aware of. Um, and I can, I, I'll, I'll try to, I'll link to the clean la- label uh, projects data in the show notes. But if I'm concerned about anything, I'm concerned about heavy metals and I'm concerned about endocrine disruptors and BPA, especially when it comes to contamination and what we're putting on our, our skin and what we're eating. And this is really, really alarming to me because you would never, a lot of people do not have have no clue, have absolutely no clue about this. And they wouldn't think about things like this. And you um, and, you know, we can we can talk. Of course, there's a lot of nuances about f- food and, you know, how food can be contaminated, too. And I get that. But in general, when you put something through a, a highly, you know, when it's highly processed, it's going to have a higher rate of contamination and heavy metals and all that kind of stuff. So if you love a good serum, I have a new 30 percent off coupon code for you. One of the top ways we're exposed to endocrine disruptors, plasticizers like BPA and heavy metals is through cosmetic products. Conventional skincare is often loaded with endocrine disruptors and carcinogens, but products also can be high in heavy metals because they become contaminated through extraction and production. I made the switch to clean beauty five years ago after I read some alarming research that showed how harmful ingredients in skincare products can actually pass through the placenta to the baby and make it into breast milk. I tried so many different clean beauty products and by far the best effective skincare and makeup is from Beauty Counter. Their products are free of known harmful ingredients and they contain active ingredients, which means they work just as good if not better than the conventional products. They test for all contaminants like BPA and heavy metals, which is why I ultimately chose to make the switch. I absolutely love the vitamin C serum and I personally use the Countertime Tripeptide Serum every night, which has totally changed the fine lines around my eyes. Shop Beauty Counter at beautycounter.com slash Tar. Then use the code CLEANFORALL30 to get 30% off your order. You can also join my clean beauty list where I share promotions and sales and offer samples. That's at coconutsandkettlebells.com forward slash beauty. Again, to shop, go to beautycounter.com slash Tar and use the coupon code CLEANFORALL30 for all 30 to get 30% off your first order. Okay. Anything else? That was super informative. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay. The last question is from (laughs) Kai. She says, she says, can you talk about chronic UTIs and managing doctors who will only prescribe antibiotics? Uh, Yeah, we can talk about both of these things. Um, So chronic UTIs, you can definitely be more genetically predisposed to them than others, like pretty much any health thing you can go through. And that does end up being the case. That being said, a lot of chronic UTIs uh, can be managed by figuring out what you might might be triggering or causing them. Uh, There are definitely lifestyle things that people fall, you know, that people like have as habits and uh, aren't aware. So um, it's really important to make sure that you have really good hygiene when you're going to the bathroom and when you're having sex, right? These are uh, two times in which bacteria can get into your urinary tract. Um, And so you need to have good hygiene when you wipe and you need to make sure that when you have sex that everybody's like hands and stuff are clean. And you also want to urinate after 
um, to try and make sure that if any bacteria did uh, end up uh, getting close to uh, your urinary tract that you can flush them out of your system. Uh, so those are two times in which it's it's quite common um, for people to get a UTI. Um, you also want to wear cotton or something breathable uh, if you get chronic UTIs to see if that um, can help you. Uh, and you definitely want to uh, steer clear of something that might be irritating in the shower. And you don't want to like overly wash, like douching is not necessary. Um, scented products can be, you know, difficult mm -hmm. or problematic. So yeah. um, antibiotics are a, a solution that I would resort to if I needed a, if I needed uh, like a problem to be addressed quickly. Uh, I, I did for a while get chronic tooth infections. I did get my wisdom teeth pulled, which solved that problem. Um, but I would take antibiotics for that because I needed the tooth infection to go away, right? Like infections need to go away. Uh, and sometimes that is definitely absolutely something that needs to be done, especially, um, with like, if you have an infection <laughs> and you don't want it to get worse, um, and say, you, uh, yeah, so antibiotics can definitely be a short term fix. But in terms of a more longer term solution, uh, I would talk to a doctor about this, I would say like, okay, yeah, sure. Like, I understand the need for this immediate fix. But can we talk about longer term preventing this? I don't like getting UTIs. Like, can we prevent this from happening? Like, That, that would be great. That would be really great. You know, um, preventing infections is, is really important. And if your doctor is willing to talk with you about preventative action, awesome. If not, I would look. I would look around personally because preventative action is enormous for healthcare. Enormous. Like I, I don't want to have a doctor who's constantly just slapping a bandaid on things unless I go to them only when I want a bandaid slapped on things. And exactly. you know, and and in the other cases, I'm working on stuff myself. You know, it's um, it's tricky because I do most of my healthcare troubleshooting on my own. And then sometimes you need documentation for things and people are like, why isn't this documented? I'm like, well, I'm pretty sure this is what happened to me and how I approached it. But I didn't go see a doctor because I didn't I didn't think I needed a doctor's help or I didn't think, it, you know, I didn't want to go through the work of trying to find a doctor who was going to like be on board with the way I wanted to approach this. And, yet, you know, et cetera. Um, yeah, it's really important to have healthcare practitioners who are, you know, on board with you or you'd like selectively go to them when you think that their approach will align with with what you're doing. Um yeah. 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 So let me talk about the research. This is really interesting because I was like, is there any research on chronic UTIs and antibiotic use? And there is, which is awesome. So um, a new study actually was done. When was this done? Let me. Oh, wow. Cool. May of 2022. I feel so. Okay. <laughs> like, yes. Um, it was done that found that women who get reoccurring recurrent UTIs may be caught in a vicious cycle in which antibiotics are given to get rid of it. That actually then predisposes them to get more. Shocker, right? So I think that what happens with chronic UTIs is you treat it. Maybe there's some underlying root cause. We'll talk about that in a second. But a lot of women, like you said, get it treated and then it keeps coming back. Why does it keep coming back? That's the question. Doctors will tell you, oh, you should... Um, I looked up I looked up natural remedies for UTIs. I thought it was really funny because it was like pee when you need to, drink water. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what a lot of the advice is on the switch. You know. It says switch to birth control. 
Like, okay, oh, thanks sure. for your natural remedies for you to <laughs> what? Drink cranberry juice. I'm like, okay, I pretty like, okay, maybe, but also no, that's not gonna like address the root cause. So anyway, and this is probably what your doctor's saying to you, right? Is I'll wipe from front to back and make sure you're you're cleaning yourself. <laughs> that's um, what I just said. I know. <laughs> It's important, okay? It's important. But when you're having chronic UTIs and you're hearing that over and over again, and you're like, I know how to wipe myself, you know, like I and I'm drinking Mm -hmm. water and I go to the bathroom when I need to. I think we're seeing, especially with (laughs) medical professionals, like this complete absence of what's the root cause and what's happening. So what with the recurrent UTIs, which is the interesting research, is that surviving bacteria in the gut. So what happens is when you treat it with antibiotics, you get it in the urinary tract, but you don't. There's actually surviving bacteria in the gut that can multiply and spread to the bladder again, which causes another UTI. So this, at the same time, obviously we know from what we know about gut health, if you've been listening to this podcast for any amount of time, you know how important gut health is and how antibiotics can negatively impact our gut microbiome over time. At the same time, this repeated cycle of antibiotics is wrecking havoc on that community of helpful bacteria that live in your intestines, in your microbiome. So we're not only negatively impacting the gut bacteria, we're actually not taking care of that surviving bacteria, it's usually E. coli, that is causing the UTI in the first place in the gut. So it's... I think it's very frustrating for women because physicians don't know what to do with chronic UTIs except to prescribe, you know, constant antibiotics. And it's actually making the condition worse over time. This is with chronic UTIs. I ended up having to do a little bit of research on this. I don't think I had a UTI, but I felt like, you know, pregnancy does weird things to you. You got a lot of pressure down there. And when you're, you're, I I went long with both of my quote unquote long, you know, I went to 41 weeks with both of my kids and it was, it was a lot. Okay. It wasn't pretty. And I, I was kind of dealing with both of them and near the end for both of them was like, oh, is this yeast infection or is this a UTI? And I don't know what to do. And so I did start preemptively taking, um, I did some research and there is some research that lactobacilli, that bacteria can actually help with UTIs. And it also can help with yeast infections. So there is a specific, I looked it up, I have it pulled up on Amazon. I took this for a while. Um, and it's called Florigen Acidophilus High Potency Refrigerated Support. Um, it is specifically like a, it's just a high potency of that specific strain. And I found that it helped quite a bit. And you'll see a lot of people say, oh, this was so great for my, this was, this was fast and effective for UTIs or for yeast infections or whatever. I would highly recommend trying that first. I also did some research and found that there is, I like herbs. I really do. Again, talk with your doctor, but this is what I would have done. I would then look for herbs to see, is there some sort of herbs that can support my urinary system, bladder, that sort of thing. And Herb Farm, which I do like them a lot, makes a urinary system support that has corn silk and horsetail and and juniper in it. It's a dropper. I love a good dropper. I give my kids droppers. That's what they do for their supplements when I give them herbs. And this can really help 
it might help immediately. It might, you know, try this. Try it. I I will link to it. Try it if your doctor approves. Um, It's just a mixture of Western herbs, um, liquid herbal formula, just like a dropper. So try that. Um, Try the probiotic. I do think, of course, what would I do for an infection? And this is what I had to shift my mindset, especially when I kept getting mastitis was like, what am I, what would I do for an infection? What would I do if I had a cold or a flu? Up your zinc. So take zinc, take vitamin C. These are both really supportive of get clearing infections. And I would rather you take high doses of vitamin C and zinc any day over than having you to take the antibiotics. And that's what I came to with mastitis. I was like, oh, I need to treat this like an infection. Um, Use the probiotics use the herbs and um you can try i mean gosh i don't know i'd probably put a little bit of red light therapy down there I'm not saying you should but i just love my red light therapy and I, that really helped clear the infection from mastitis um your gut microbiome is obviously highly involved here so so many things could be the root cause of what's disrupting your gut microbiome it possibly could be inflammatory foods or highly processed sugar that could make it worse so, you know, try for a time period, seeing if there's something that you're really sensitive to. I would focus on dairy, vegetable oils, gluten, and then highly refined sugar. Try to move away from that to just try to see if you can beat, you know, get the chronic stuff to stop. Um, check ultimately what you can do is if you have a doctor who only uh, prescribes antibiotics, that's not, that's not the doctor for you for actually finding out root causes. That's the doctor for you when you need a quick prescription of something so that you can clear it quickly. So find another doctor. Um, you can have a functional medicine practitioner that you maybe work with online or works at a different practice. Maybe you end up having to pay, you know, out of pocket or whatever. But that person is there for you when you need to have very specific support and you've you've exhausted all your other things. So when I had my dermatitis, I went to the dermatologist. I got told the exact same thing everywhere I went. Um, Here's a... Here's a cream that has a big warning on it that says carcinogen could cause glaucoma. Um, But don't worry about that. Just use it. Uh, Okay, thanks. So like, no, no, that's not my that's not what I want. So I then went to my functional, you know, whatever practitioner and she had a very different, you know, assessment. And I worked with her for a little bit and we cleared it. So I had my stuff if I needed to from the conventional doctor that doesn't care about root causes. And I went to my functional doctor, you know like I do once a year when something pops up and I really want help getting to the root cause. Um, but this might be something where you need to check for gut infections, overgrowths, um, and also chronic stress can be such a big trigger. And if we're not, if you're taking supplements and probiotics and you're not addressing your chronic stress, your mental and emotional health, it's going to be a never-ending cycle and you're never going to get out of it. So um, really focus on that and focusing on, you know, eating uh, prebiotic foods so like cook potatoes let them cool eat those so that you can like feed your gut bacteria really good food i think you focusing on gut health is really important we have so many episodes gut health is like you know a whole book so focus on what your root causes and then work on that and i will link to the probiotic and the herbs in the show notes so anything else from you stephanie nope Okay, for more from me, coconutsandkettleballs.com. For more from Stephanie, Health to Empower. She's also at stephanie.ruper on Instagram to follow all of her European things. <laughs> Adventures. Adventures, dancing, <laughs> friends, things. foods, coffee shops. No, I've seen post-it notes. 
with lots of French words on them. It's lots of fun. Thanks for being here, guys. We will talk to you next week. 